0: No human being enjoys it when life is hard. That would be perverse. But there are times in life when we will willingly put ourselves through hardship in order to achieve a greater end. Have a think about some of the following. People will undertake an exercise regime in order to train for a big event. Maybe a marathon or a long bike ride. Maybe something you'll be sponsored for done this myself many times. Along similar lines, many people will take on a strict diet, denying themselves some of their favourite foods in order to lose weight and feel better. Some people will take on a tough revision programme or attend night classes after work in order to gain academic qualifications and further their career. Some people on Isla I know, are being very frugal and saving hard so they can afford a deposit for a house or Christmas presents for the family. And then of course there are health issues. We all know people who have put themselves through grueling rounds of chemotherapy in order to defeat cancer and extend life. In all these examples we choose to embrace hardship. We willingly accept some form of sorrow in order to achieve a special outcome. And when that outcome is realised, the joy and the elation of that moment makes all the suffering worthwhile. Perhaps the ultimate example of this is the labour that leads to childbirth. Now, I have never witnessed a child being born in person, but the majority of you in this room will have done. Can you remember the emotion of those moments? From what I can see, giving birth is terrifying. It involves sharp pain and convulsions and breathing difficulties and much more. The women we love go through a form of agony that mere men can only watch with awe. But that said, most women giving birth go through it with eager expectation Their hearts are already set on the new life that is waiting to come into the world. So much so, within a very short time after the birth, assuming that both the mother and the baby are reasonably healthy, they are deeply content. There may be days and weeks of pain to come as the body recovers from its ordeal, but new life has arrived, and with it, a new joy that makes everything worthwhile. It all goes to show that as human beings, we are prepared to go through suffering if there is a purpose to it. We are prepared to put ourselves in a place of pain if we know there is joy waiting the other side. And incredibly, our reading tonight shows us that this was also true of Jesus. In the final hours of his life, as he contemplated the horror of the upcoming cross, his vision was firmly set on what lay the other side. And it's precisely because Jesus endured what he did that the same can be true for us as well. There will be difficulties living the life of faith, but Jesus will ensure that they will all be made worth it. Jesus promises us that joy will come after our grief. As our reading began, time is very much running out for Jesus. In only a few moments time he'll be taken away from the disciples. These really are his final words to them. And as such Jesus decides it's time to get real, very real. In these verses, Jesus is blunt. In the coming days, his followers will experience sorrow and suffering. Just listen again to a few of the verses we read together. There is no ambiguity here. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Now is your time of grief. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered. In this world, you will have trouble. There really is no doubting what any of those words mean, is there? Anyone who thinks the life of being a Christian is going to be an easy one has never read the Bible. So why are the disciples at the time of John 16 suffering so much? Well, Jesus has just told them that he's about to leave them and they will see him no more. And his friends are naturally filled with grief and confusion and despair. They've given up everything to be with Jesus over the last three years and they love him dearly. Combined with this grief is the great fear and anxiety they now have about the future. What will they do without him? Will they be arrested and tortured and crucified too? And sadly we know that they will indeed experience persecution in the months and years to come. Persecution from their own family and friends and community as they seek to hinder them from living out a life for Jesus in the world. The disciples are suffering and they will continue to do so. And of course, in this regard, nothing has changed. Followers of Jesus still suffer today. We too experience sorrow and grief at the loss of our loved ones. We too experience confusion and despair at the state of the world around us. And indeed, as the West becomes increasingly secular, we can feel isolated and alone as believers. We feel vulnerable. Now, we're very fortunate that we are not persecuted in the same way that some of our brothers and sisters in the world are. But we do still sometimes experience mockery and derision for our faith. We do still lose friends because of it. In his final words here, Jesus makes it clear that Christians are always going to experience sorrow. Indeed, there will be times when rather than taking us out of it, we will experience suffering as a direct consequence of the faith that we have. After all, we believe in a crucified Messiah who asked us to pick up our cross and follow him. This was never going to be easy. The question is then, is it worth it? Is the suffering that we undergo as a person of faith made worthwhile in the end? And secondary to that, are there any resources out there to help us keep going until the joy comes the other side? Well, Jesus believes that the answer is yes to both those questions. Yes, the hardship will be worthwhile, and yes, there are resources to help us while we go through it. And in our passage, Jesus mentions three things in this regard, and each comes with a promise so wonderful it's well worth memorizing and holding on to. Let's take each by turn. First of all, Jesus speaks about resurrection in verses 16 to 22. In a little while, the disciples will see Jesus no more. He'll be taken away from them. He'll be arrested by the Roman guards. He'll be put to death. He'll be laid behind a giant stone in a tomb. And at this, the disciples will be heartbroken. They will weep and mourn for their loss, just as the bereaved were at the funeral I was conducting yesterday. Only what will make it even worse for the disciples is that while they are so upset, all the world around them will be rejoicing. Thinking it was a great thing that Jesus has been killed. Oh, how much that must have hurt them. But, Jesus says, a little while after their great pain, a little while after the brutality of the cross, the disciples, weeping and mourning, will be transformed into joy and dancing. Why? Because they'll see Jesus again. Risen And a life. And this is where Jesus uses that analogy of childbirth. On the cross, his suffering will be horrendous. But it will be well worth it for the life that follows. You see, just as a woman's life is never the same again once she has become a mother, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection means that death has been defeated and life reigns. The resurrection means that darkness has been overcome by the most brilliant of lights. And from now on there will always be cause for hope and confidence. Of course the disciples will be delighted just to see their friend again. But the implications of the resurrection go much further than that. Let us return to that imagery of childbirth. On Resurrection Day, the first Easter Sunday, a new world was given birth. The new creation had arrived. In the Old Testament, God had promised to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. A new world order to perfect and replace the old broken one. Well, Jesus' resurrection body was the first part of that. The first element. Of this new creation. And the reality of the risen Jesus guarantees us that the rest of that new world will one day follow. Let me put it as simply as I can. Because Jesus rose again after death, we will rise again after death. Because Jesus rose again, all of our loved ones in the faith will rise again too. Because Jesus rose again, we can look forward to eternity in a real, tangible, physical place where we will all walk around in the new resurrection bodies just like the one Jesus himself had. When we really grasp the truth of the resurrection, we can start to ask ourselves the question, well, what's the worst that can happen to me? I could die of cancer or old age. I could be hit by a bus I could be killed by a terrorist bomb. I could be put to death by my persecutors. But in that moment, I will enter glory, which is better by far. There is nothing this world can throw at us or do to us in this life that takes away eternity. The world may put us through hell, but we are heaven bound. And it is this promise That will always make faith worthwhile. Let's hear the great promise again in verse 22. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. That was true for the disciples at the time of the first Easter. It's been true for every Christian who has ever lived in the centuries since. And it is true for each and every one of us today. We will go through difficult things, but we will never give up. Because the joy that will come when we see Jesus face to face and start sharing eternity with him will make all of our difficulties pale into insignificance. Jesus really does promise that joy will come after grief. The second promise Jesus makes is about prayer. And this is found in verses 23 to 28. Let me read a little of it again. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, up to the time of his departure from them, the disciples had always gone straight to Jesus with their worries and their requests for help. And on hearing of these troubles, Jesus had either dramatically done something about them or he had taken their requests and brought them before his father in prayer. Often in the Gospels, we read of Jesus taking himself off to a quiet place or climbing a mountain to pray. And I'm sure that knowing that he did this brought great reassurance to the disciples. But again, Jesus says that his going away will bring about a whole new reality in this regard. From now on, the disciples will be able to talk direct to the Father themselves. And this is because Jesus' death is going to remove the barrier of sin between us and establish a new relationship between ordinary human believers like us and Almighty God. From now on, we will be able to call him Father. And what Jesus says here is this. When we are in trouble or we're facing difficulty, we are to pray in his name. And as we pray according to his will and in step with his plans and purposes for the world, we will experience our prayers being answered. And as we experience our prayers being answered, we will realize again just how much we are loved by God. The Father loves all who trust in his Son as his own precious children. Let's hear this wonderful promise again. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. There it is again, the mention of joy. Now, we'll not be feeling joyful when we begin to pray. We'll be concerned and anxious and hurting. But as we bring our troubles to God and then witness him at work in response... Great joy will flood our hearts. And this direct access to the Father is another reason why the suffering that Jesus chose for himself was well worth it in the end. That act gives us the great resource of prayer that we need as we struggle today. Now, with these two great promises in the bag, the disciples are starting to feel a little encouraged. Their faith is growing. They're beginning to feel uh, ready for anything. But in verses 29 to 32, it becomes clear that Jesus doesn't want them getting too carried away. In a few short hours after this conversation, the disciples will have been scattered. They will have been terrified by the might of the Roman army, the horror of the cross and the threat on their own lives. And this running away of the disciples, despite everything Jesus has done to prepare them, is a sure sign that if everything in the future depended on us, human beings, we would all be in a lot of trouble. So thank goodness it doesn't. Not at all. The future depends on Jesus, the sovereign king who will have won the victory. And this is the third promise The promise of victory. Jesus knows that it's only by going through suffering himself that he can defeat all that tries to harm us as human beings. As his father brings him out the other side of it, the victory will have been won. Despite the disciples scattering everywhere, God the father will never leave his son over the course of the next few days. And it's because he'll remain faithful to him through the dark waters of death that will stretch ahead that Jesus knows in the end he will triumph. Through the cross and resurrection, death and sin and evil and devil and hell will all be defeated. And gloriously from this moment on, all believers in Jesus will participate in that great victory too. Let's hear again the great promise of verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. My wife Emily believes that God gave her that verse when she was going through a very difficult period in her life. That verse helped her to hold on to him and as a result emily turned it into a painting that hangs at the bottom of the stairs just here and she also designed a tattoo out of it which she's got on her wrist so that she will never forget that promise christians will go through times of trouble but jesus says we don't have to wait until the trouble is over before we can have peace we can have peace of mind in the trouble because we know the outcome Is secure. I came across a great quote this week that I'd like to share with you. These are the words of Christian writer David Miller. As long as a Christian is in the world, they will be pressed as by a great mob. They will be crushed in spirit as though great crushing weights were lying on their chest. They will know spiritual anguish like that of a mother in labor. This Jesus has told us. When he speaks, therefore, of peace, it is not the peace of unruffled days, but the inner confidence of a warrior who is weary, thirsty, outnumbered and wounded, but who fights bravely on, confident of the outcome and assured of the victory. We are not saved from trouble. We are saved in trouble. And maybe that's something we needed to hear tonight. So, to conclude, I don't know what troubles it is that you're currently going through. I don't know what griefs you are having to bear. But I want to urge us all to hold on to Jesus. Because in the end, He will make everything worthwhile. In the midst of the difficulties that we are facing, let us remember these three great promises. The promise of resurrection. The promise that prayer works because we're speaking directly to our Father. And the promise that Jesus has won the victory. And one day we will experience it too. I urge us all, let's keep going. In Jesus we have all that we need And the promise of eternal life. Let's keep gathering to worship and to pray. To celebrate this truth and encourage one another. And let us keep going out into the world to tell others. For this is the good news that everyone needs to hear. After grief comes joy for those who believe.